Hello and welcome to another episode of the Symphonic Podcast. Uh, my name is Bernardo Mite. And, and I'm Andrew Owen. Hey! Hey! Changing it up, nice. Doing what I can. There you go. Um, so, Andrew, um, we have now 31 subscribers. This is good. Yeah, we doubled our subscribers in basically a week. That was great. Not too shabby. Um, Word of mouth is the only way this happens. I, I agree with that. <laughs> so, I guess all our friends are listening now. We appreciate the, the support, of course. Um, and well, if you have any time, and if you have, if you can, uh, rate us on iTunes, that would be great, because that would help with visibility, and that will help our podcast grow some more, if you can. Alright, so today we're going to talk about Albert, or Albert, Alberto, Alberto, I can't even do my own thing. If you want, if you want to try Spanish, huh? Okay, let me, it's a tough language, I know. <laughs> Let's switch back, okay, I know this language, I promise. Today, we're going to talk about Alberto Ginastera, or Ginastera. Uh, and he was born in April of 1916, and he died in uh, June of 1983. And he was a composer from Argentina, and he's considered one of the most important conductors of uh, 20th century uh, classical, com classical composers in all of uh, the Americas. Sure. Um, uh, Gina Stera, or well, there's a lot of controversy in how to pronounce his name, but mm -hmm. we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Gina Stero was born in Buenos Aires, uh, Argentina, to a Catalan father and an Italian mother. Uh, during the last few years of his life, he did prefer to have his name pronounced with the uh, Catalan pronunciation, uh, with a soft J sound, as in George. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Gina mm -hmm. rather than the Spanish, Spanish uh, H sound. Gina yeah. Uh, so, I mean, in fact, this would, be, this would be the local Argentine pronunciation of his name if it were spelled Y uh, Inastera or double L Inastera, Ginastera. But yeah, um, a lot of people, when we pronounce the name, we say Ginastera because we assume he's a Spanish speaker, he's from Argentina, but uh, his father was Catalan. That's his, that's his name, Ginastera. So he liked actually Ginastera later. Uh, and I mean, in, in my country, we say Ginastera. Um, and I just found out that he preferred Ginastera. So that's, that's kind of strange. I mean, that's very interesting. You spend whole lives and you can perform his entire corpus without even knowing, knowing, his, his knowing how he preferred to have his name pronounced. Um, so like we said, he is among the leading composers of 20th century music, especially in South America. Um, and um, one of his characteristics is the successful blending of indigenous music with the, most, the more rigorous uh, elements of European art music. Um, his career spans over half a century, um, and he would uh, eventually leave the folk style um, to write more contemporary, contem contemporary styles, um, even adopting the 12, the dodecaphonic 12-tone uh, system in his later scores. But of course, I mean, uh, not surprisingly, um, he, that those works are not performed much. Um, people prefer the earlier folkloric uh, music, um, uh, um, which is, you know, that's that's what he's most known for. Sure, I mean, when I when I'm a, I, I played piano a lot before I was a voice major in undergrad, and I I played lots of Ginastera's piano music, which is very folklore. I mean, it's very very folk song-ish, but you know, like danzas criollas, um, yeah, those kinds of pieces that are designed to indicate a particular thing. Uh, but Ginastera studied at the Conservatory in Buenos Aires, graduating in 1938. As a young professor, he taught at the Liceo Militar General San Martín uh, after a visit to the United States in 1945-47, to where he studied with Aaron Copeland at Tanglewood. Uh, he returned to Buenos Aires and co-founded the League of Composers, which I know sounds like a, a group of people who are trying to 
uh, defeat uh, uh, some superheroes. <laughs> the legal. Whose, whose lair is underneath the, the water <laughs> lagoon. But no, this is in fact a, a league of composers that, that uh, Ginastera founded, co-founded in Buenos Aires. Uh, and of course he also held a number of teaching posts. He was known uh, around the area for his students. Yeah. Um, he moved back to the United States in 1968. Uh, he only stayed here for two years. But then in 1970 he went to Europe and he eventually died in Geneva. Uh, Switzerland at the age of 67 and he was buried uh, in the Cimetière de Roi the, the, the Roi Cimetière de Roi de Roi there Cemetery <laughs> of Kings I like that yeah um, that's pretty cool um, and amongst his most notable students we have of course Piazzolla who it's a big name who which he studied with him in 1941 we also have Alcides Lanza we have uh, Waldo de los Rios and we have Jacqueline Nova and, of course, uh, Rafael Aponte Lede. I mean, uh, but of course, Piazzolla is the big name. I, th I think out of all those, Piazzolla is <laughs> pretty much the only one I know yeah. uh, so far. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, Piazzolla is the, the tango king. Everyone knows him for his, for his tango compositions. Oh, but yeah. That's Ginastera is one of his most notable students. Mm -hmm. uh, so Ginastera grouped his own music into three periods. Uh, the first period, from 1934 to 48, was objective nationalism. The next period was subjective nationalism, and then his last period, starting in 58 uh, and lasting until 83, was neo-expressionism. Among other distinguishing features, uh, these periods vary in their use of traditional Argentine musical elements, as objective nationalistic works often integrate Argentine folk themes in a straightforward fashion, while works in the later periods incorporate traditional elements in an increasingly abstract kind of way. Uh, more and more, um, I guess, art artsy rather than just pure yeah. folky. Mm -hmm. uh, so much of Ginastera's works were, were um, inspired by the gauchesco tradition. Uh, this tradition holds that the gaucho, or landless native horseman of the plains, is a symbol of Argentina. Now, of course, we all know the word gaucho as being a, a Portuguese term mm -hmm. for the people who serve you the meat at Texas Day Brazil. Oh, really? I, I don't go there because, <laughs> you know, I'm a vegetarian. Well, they've got a great salad, anyway. Sure. <laughs> and what I find interesting about about Ginastera is that he grouped his own um, periods. Um, usually composers don't do that. They let uh, musicologists after they're dead to group them. Instead, Ginastera has grouped his own uh, periods. Just trying to make our lives easier, which is very nice of him. <laughs> uh, the progressive rock group Emerson, Lake and Palmer, brought Ginastera attention outside of modern classical music circles when they adapted the fourth movement of his uh, first piano concerto and recorded it on their popular album Brain Salad Surgery. Uh, under the title Toccata. Uh, they recorded the piece uh, not only with Hirastera's permission, but with his endor endorsement. In 1973, uh, when they were recording the album, uh, Keith Emerson met with Hinastera at his home in Switzerland and played a recording of his arrangement for him. Ginastera is reported to have said Diabolico. Um, Emerson misunderstood Ginastera's meaning. Ginastera spoke almost no English and meant that uh, their interpretation was frightening, um, which had uh, been his intent when he wrote it. Uh, Emerson, being British, took it to mean awful. Uh, Emerson was so upset that he was prepared to scrap the piece until Ginastera's wife intervened, saying that he actually approved uh, of, the, of the piece that he liked it. Uh, Ginastera later said, uh, You have captured the essence of my music and no one's ever done that before.
Progressive rock, man. <laughs> uh, uh, this experience is detailed in the recordings uh, note, notes of the album Brain Salad Surgery. You can read more uh, there. Um, Emerson would later go on to release the, uh, an adaptation uh, of one of, of the pieces uh, from Gina Stera's Suite de Danzas Criollas, entitled uh, Creole Dances, Creole Dance. Um, but Toccata uh, also gained fame uh, as the theme to the New England cult TV show Creature Double Feature. Um, and also Italian uh, neoclassical electric guitarist uh, Alex Massi uh, um, has also recorded an adaptation of Toccata, uh, one strongly based on the, uh, on the ELP version rather than the original um, orchestral piece. I listened to this, to this song today, it's seven minutes and it's weird, it's, I mean it's very very strange and freaky. It's all still there, right? Like, it's the, yeah. All of it from oh. Gina Stera. <laughs> it's just sort of surprising. It's sort of a, I don't know, free interpretation. Yeah. I need to hear it myself, I haven't done that. Mm -hmm. uh, his Cantata para América Magica in 1960 uh, for dramatic soprano and 53 percussion instruments, what could go wrong? Uh, was based on an ancient pre-Columbian legend. It was based on several legends. Its West Coast premiere was performed by the Los Angeles Percussion Ensemble under Andre Temianca and William Kraft at UCLA in 1963. A portion of, you know, of Gina Stera's Piano Sonata No. 1 is performed in the movie The Competition, and the piece is included in the movie soundtrack. So his work has, has really flung far out of classical music circles. It has that progressive rock band. It's got uh, all of these theatrical... Uh, Incidental Incident. film. All these things, yeah. yeah. So all, all, all in all, he's written several unique uh, works. Uh, he wrote three operas, he wrote two ballets, ten orchestral pieces, six concertos, twelve piano pieces, two organ pieces, twelve vocal and choral works, uh, and eleven instrumental works, chamber and solo, and seventeen uh, works of incidental music, film music. Mm -hmm. Remember, you and I sang uh, his... Um, yeah, uh, Lamentations of Jeremiah. Yeah, Lamentaciones, Lamentaciones de Jeremiah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, it was really, really, really cool. Really cool piece. Very great piece. Yeah, I mean, uh, out of all those works, I've only done two. I've, I performed the whole estancia, but at the suite, um, uh, I got to play the first flute, which has a great solo in the second moment, uh, and I did the uh, Lamentations, mm -hmm. which I really enjoyed too. Um, so we're going to talk about his piece, uh, The Four Dances uh, from La Estancia which is actually a suite taken from a ballet. Uh, it has four movements. The first movement is called Los Trabajadores Agrícolas, which means the land workers. The second movement, Danza del Trigo, which is uh, the wheat dance. Mm. Uh, the third movement, Los Peones de Hacienda, which means the cattlemen. Uh, and the fourth movement is called Danza Final Malambo, which is final dance Malambo. Malambo is just a, a dance. So, Anestancia is a large cattle ranch on the Pampas in Argentina, and Alberto Ginastera envisioned his ballet as a depiction of the busy activities on Anestancia from one dawn to the next. The story of the ballet is built around a love triangle. Mm. <laughs> a city boy meets a beautiful ranch girl and is entranced. Uh, she, however, consider him, considers him a weakling in comparison to the manly gauchos, uh, the, the horsemen, uh, who work on her father's estancia. Uh, the city boy follows her to the ranch, uh, determined to win her heart away from the gauchos. Uh, the ballet is a little over 30 minutes in length and the suite is 13 minutes. It's a, it's a fast. Uh, it's not that long, but I mean, it has, it has meat. Yeah, 13 minutes. It's 
probably the shortest piece that we've looked at in this podcast yeah. so far. Yeah. I mean, we tend to look at larger work. Yeah. This is, if you listen to this, you'll, you can finish it pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that if you have something to say, in, I mean, I mean, the ballet, I mean, in, in itself, this music repeats a lot. So, I mean, if you wanted to make it longer, longer, I think it would be boring. I think it's, it's a good it's length. Right. It's exactly the perfect for, for, for what he's doing. Yeah. So Ginastero wrote this ballet very early in his career, barely three years after his graduation from the National Conservatory of Buenos Aires. Uh, Lincoln Kirstein, who was then the director of the American Ballet Caravan, which was traveling in South America, heard Ginastero's graduation piece, which was his Opus 5 uh, work for choir. It's a setting of Psalm 150, uh, you know, praise the, mm -hmm. praise the Lord praise, with all these instruments. Praise, praise, praise. <laughs> uh, Kirstein was so impressed that he commissioned a ballet for his company to perform the following year. Uh, Estancia was the happy result. Mm -hmm. um, so during these early years, Inastera was fascinated with Argentinian folk song, like we said before. Um, and Estancia's score is filled with uh, near quotes of actual folk tunes. Um, South American folk music is marked by uh, great rhythm er energy um, created by shift from one type of triple meter to another, for instance, uh, going from 3-4 to 6-8 in quick succession. Um, that's, that's, you know, you're going from 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, yeah, Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's uh, I mean, you, you hear that a lot in all of South America. Venezuela is filled, filled with that kind of uh, rhythm in in folk music. Um, so this characteristic rhythm, uh, originally imported from Europe by uh, the 16th century conquistadors, uh, gave the music a strong sense of location too. Sure. Well, national identity is also established by the story itself, featuring the guitar-carrying gaucho, an enduring idealized national emblem in Argentina. Uh, Argentina. Uh, Argentina, like Canada. Uh, most of the chords and textures in Estancia imitate the open tunings of the guitar strings and the characteristic ways a gaucho's guitar is played. So you hear lots of the, when you, whenever you strum a guitar without yeah. pressing anything down, you get those mm -hmm. open fourths. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We hear harmonies based on thirds and exotic mixtures of more than one traditional tonality occurring at the same time. He, this man liked to mess with harmonic language. It was fun, he liked to put things together. Uh, in the first movement, Los Trabajadores Agricolas, um, uh, not the placid piece one might expect from the title, it's a dark driving dance inspired by the Malambo, uh, the country dance that appears in full force in the suite's finale. The brass, carrying the, the, the brass carry the imposing, propulsive first part of this piece, but it's the woodwinds that take responsibility for the rhythmically tricky, jagged, more subdued, yet somewhat menacing middle section. Mm -hmm. So Ginastera here is using a huge, colorful orchestra with a large and varied percussion section uh, to paint the burly, bustling life of a land worker. Uh, here the shifting triple rhythms are wild and fierce, musically suggesting the machismo of the estancias workers and the rough and tumble nature of their everyday work life. Mm -hmm. yeah. Salt of the earth stuff happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, how do you call it uh, when you have the... the blister. Blister, yeah. Bl it's blister music, not, oh, you know, it's over there, it's so pretty. No, no, no. It's, you're working all day. Um, Work gloves, not formal gloves. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, the second movement, the Danza del Trigo, or Witness, uh, is a lyrical interlude, uh, a swaying piece evoking criollo, or Argentine folk, um, not to be confused with North, North American Creole song. Um, uh, the flute carries the opening melody over a limping staccato, wrong note accompaniment. Um, it's replaced by a solo violin in, in the repeat, um, which follows a central section in which the string represents, uh, in which the strings present a broad soaring melody. Um, 
this movement displays a sensuous use of brilliant orchestration. Um, this movement is calm, lyrical, and almost impressionistic because of the transparent ways in stereo combines the individual colors uh, of each orchestral sound. <laughs> um, it, it eloquently suggests the joy of uh, blossoming intimacy in a scene of natural beauty. This movement is very dreamlike, especially in the way it ends. Um, to me, it sounds like a one-nine chord. Uh, it's very ethereal, mm -hmm. and I mean, like like they said, he's not using the whole orchestra here. He's just using like oh, woodwinds over here, the strings over here, then maybe a f full string section. He's being conservative in the way he's using the color, which makes it um, beautiful. Of course, it's it's original. Sure. So filling the role of the scherzo, you know, the, the movement in, in a traditional four-movement instrumental work like that, mm -hmm. is uh, Los Peones uh, de Hacienda. My Spanish is abysmal. You That's pretty good. Uh, with its driving asymmetrical rhythm, brass-dominated proclamations, and arresting, though brief, timpani solos. Mm -hmm. Uh, the third movement emphasizes rhythm once again, but rhythm that is less predictable, more asymmetrical. Uh, the, the brass and percussion sections are prominent. Uh, the main theme is introduced by the French horns playing in unison. Uh, the last few moments of this movement are dominated by an extended timpani solo uh, in a competitive conversation with the low brass section, playing fragments of the original theme. Uh, if, I mean, if this is the first time you're hearing this piece, it's going to be you're going to want to just turn the volume down so you don't make your neighbors angry. It's just, I mean, it's very lots and lots of timpani. Mm -hmm. uh, finally, the timpani and brass come together and restate the entire theme to end the movement in a triumphant unity. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so the last moment, the um, uh, Malambo, well, the Malambo is a quick and vigorous Argentino folk, folk dance in which men compete to demonstrate the agility and machismo. Uh, the dance itself is a series of uh, justas, or competitive, um, anything you can do, I can do better moments. That's, the, that's how the piece works. Uh, the winner is the last man to remain standing. In the final moment of the suite, Hinastera um, uses the Malambo format to show uh, the city man competing with the gauchos for the heart, the heart of the ranch girl. Um, the, the movement uh, begins with a high pickle of flutterings, uh, when the guitar, like strum, of the piccolo line struggles with the underlying accompaniment and one meter is set against another. The same thing repeats over and over, is an ostinato, uh, culminating with a breathless, frenzied, uh, wickedly fast trumpet solo. Uh, each time the trumpet theme is heard, the accom accom accompanying music is... How do you say that? The accompanying music. Accompanying music, oh man. The accompanying music is... Accompanying music is slightly varied. So each time uh, the trumpet theme is heard, the accompanying music is slightly varied, uh, so that the web of sound becomes increasingly more complex. Um, you can say that this movement is divided in two main sections. The first section uses the deranged tick-tock of the beginning, uh, which includes transition and a nervous dance melody on the strings, and uh, which later go to the brass. And the second half, is a driving percussion, um, a percussion toccata, sometimes shrill but always compelling um, through its uh, propulsive perpetual motion. It's, I mean, that, I mean, the beginning, the piccolo part is very hard. If you go audition in a South American orchestra and you play piccolo, that's going to be for sure in, <laughs> in the audition. Good to know, good to know. <laughs> Throughout this dance, you can, you can listen for characteristic sounds of nature. Uh, a masterful thumb roll on the tambourine mimics an insistent cicada. Cicada. Cicada! <laughs> <laughs>
This language is hard. <laughs> this is our first Spanglish podcast. We're doing our best here. <laughs> Straight up. Okay, we'll try that one more time. Throughout this dance, you can listen for characteristic sounds of nature. A masterful thumb roll, the tambourine mimics an insistent cicada. Uh, the entire horn section interjects a flurry of elephant peals, uh, you know, elephant trumpeting. Uh, the flutes interrupt the melody with an unmistakable twitter of birds. Uh, Ginastero finished his ballet Estancia on time in 1942, but Kirstein's group had disbanded. Uh, the composer had to wait until 1952 to see this work staged as a ballet. Uh, meanwhile, to save the music from extinction, uh, Ginastera extracted the suite from the ballet, creating an invigorating orchestral piece that has won its own popularity. Yeah, this piece is super popular, especially in South America. I mean, I've played it three times in, in my life, and it's, it's very popular. I mean, at least in Venezuela, this is heard throughout the country a lot. It's a very popular piece. I mean, because it's it's really fun. It's and catchy. It's, yeah, it's hard, but I mean, it's just it's only twelve minutes. So even youth orchestras, you know, they put hard work into it. It's twelve minutes, and it's good to go. Mm -hmm. um, and well, I mean, it's a short piece, so it's a short part, podcast, of course, as oh, well. Yes. It's um, and well, uh, we've reached uh, the end of our podcast. Um, like always, thank you for listening. If you have any questions or concerns or um, anything that you want to tell us, uh, email us at symphonypodcast at gmail.com thank you again for um, subscribing to our podcast we really appreciate uh, the numbers that we're getting and we hope it keeps growing um, anything else? that's all I got alright thank you thank you for thanks listening for, thanks for listening